This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. COVID has been a major topic at the State House, but efforts to vaccinate and test have been winding down across the state and the country. So what happens to the uninsured? And an issue that's long troubled many, the state's mental health system is seeing some reason for hope. I'm joined now by two of the state's top health reporters, Anne-Marie Timmons of the New Hampshire Bulletin and Ali Pham of NHPR. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Thanks so much for coming in early to uh, the New Hampshire News Recap. Uh, Anne-Marie, I want to start with you. You reported this week on a new system that's meant to more quickly address the causes or the cases of people, I should say, who are involuntarily confined during mental health crisis. How different is the system from what was in place before? I think in a word, it's just consistent now. Uh, Previously, anyone who is thought to be a danger to themselves or others could be held uh, for an involuntary emergency admission. Once that form is completed by a clinician, the person is supposed to have a hearing within three days to challenge that hold. And what we saw over the course of the pandemic especially, just the need was so great Uh, for mental health help in crisis situation that they could not find places to treat everyone who was coming to an ER. So we saw people really languishing, being held way beyond the three days. And of course, the Supreme Court found that unconstitutional. So out of that backlog became, you know, two problems. One is people were waiting forever in an ER or the three days passed and they were let go before safety concerns were resolved. And so the the process was always there. There were just lots of people playing a part in it and not working together under sort of one script. So now the circuit court has really um, taken the lead here on this. And there's a very step-by-step process now that lays out for all parties, for the hospital, for the emergency rooms, for the people who will be admitting um, these patients when they're in crisis. They all know now what the steps are. And it's, it's just very consistent. And so early indications, it's been up a month now. And Chief Justice um, McDonald will ask the fiscal committee today for money to continue it. Um, it just, um, the court will immediately schedule hearing every morning. There'll be dedicated judges to hear these cases every single morning. Right now, they're handled in multiple courts. Some don't have the resources to do it on a daily basis. So this will really create a streamlined process. Um, the acute care hospitals know where their part is, where they come in. And they're already seeing fewer cases being dismissed because of um, deadline delay. So, so this is actually already making a difference. It already is. It's hard to tell. It's been four weeks. I think in the first week there were 125 hearings, and I think one or two were dismissed. Um, that's much, much lower. You know, last year I think there were 100 cases dismissed, um, over a thousand different petitions. So it's had a really quick effect. It'll take time, of course, to see how that goes. Right, and really evaluate it. Uh, this is part of a number of proposed changes to the state's mental health system. I know, Allie, you've been reporting on the, the Step Up, Step Down program. How does that fit in here? Yeah, so this is kind of another angle on addressing the same problem, really, of this high volume of hospitalizations. And I've been really interested in this particular program. It's state-funded. It was a part of the state's 10-year mental health plan a few years ago. And and I've been interested in it because it's kind of a unique model. It's this program. It's a 90-day short-term stay. There are four of these programs in the state. Each is three beds. So they're really small. And kind of like the, the name, people can step up into the program if they think they need more mental health support support or they can step down um, from a setting like a psychiatric hospital. And this program kind of provides 24-7 mental health support. It also helps 
um, residents, you know, maybe apply for a new apartment or a new job. And it really just kind of aims to curb the vicious cycle of recurring hospitalizations where a lot of the same people um, go back to psychiatric hospitals. And this program also, it's not a clinical program. The whole thing is run by what the program calls peers. So they're trained specialists whose expertise is really informed by their own lived experience with with mental health challenges. But, you know, right now, as I'm sure you can imagine from what Anne-Marie just spoke about, the program has much more demand than these 12 slots can meet. Sure. Yeah. And of course, there's all kinds of workforce uh, challenges. How is, you know, staffing issues uh, affecting this? Yeah. So these programs have not been immune from the workforce shortage in healthcare. And earlier this winter, two of them, so that's half of the programs in the state closed their doors temporarily because they were short-staffed. So then that meant the other two programs were shouldering even more demand. Um, And these programs did reopen. They reopened last month. One of them is now fully staffed in Manchester, but the program in Northwood is still running on what the program director called an unsustainable level of of staffing. Mm -hmm. One thing to point out here, too, is that this is a state-funded program, and I think the budget in terms of staffing could probably benefit from being higher. People recruiting for these positions say it's really hard when they're trying to find someone to work, you know, maybe something like an overnight shift or a weekend shift and McDonald's is offering more pay than than they are. Right. Yeah. Emery, you report uh, another effort is, is making a difference here. Uh, the state's new call center and mobile crisis response team, they reported sending out the response team more than 400 times in the first month alone. What kind of impact is that having? I think it'll take a year. They tell me, I asked the same question I wanted to know immediately. I said it will totally take a year to tell, but early indications are that you know, those are 400 responses that could have prevented someone, you know, from coming into the emergency room when they didn't need to. So it's very hopeful. Um, the The website is New Hampshire 988. I just wanted to put that out there, .com, to, to get help. And so when you call in, you either can get your questions resolved or help making an appointment um, for the next day or two days away, or if you're in crisis, this this mobile crisis center will be sent out. So I think it's it's encouraging. I thought those numbers seem high to me because we still have a lot of people who don't know about this call center yet. So that with just such a short time frame, I think it is having the impact that the state had really hoped for. It really speaks to demand, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with Anne-Marie Timmons of New Hampshire Bulletin and Ali Pham here of NHPR. What questions do you have about what's been going on in the state? You can always email us at voices at nhpr.org. We want to hear from you. Allie, I want to turn our attention to some funding for a federal program that reimburses health providers for COVID testing, treatment, and vaccines for people without uh, insurance. That's now run out. What does that mean for people who are uninsured in New Hampshire who may need that type of COVID-related care? Yeah. So I think the takeaway here is that these services can still be found for free or they can still be covered through a New Hampshire program, but it may take a little bit more legwork or digging to kind of ensure that with this federal program out of money. So I had called over and emailed over a dozen large health providers in the state. And some of them like Dartmouth Health and Convenient MD said they couldn't answer my questions. But I did learn that Big retail pharmacies like CVS and Rite Aid are continuing to offer free testing and vaccines and boosters for people who are uninsured. 
People can also find free boosters and vaccines at clinics run by their local health department or regional network or the state's van. And these services are also still free at federally qualified health centers across the state. But I mean, say you need something more, like you actually get the virus Mm -hmm. and you may need treatment or God forbid you have to go to the hospital. Um, There's actually a, a, a program here in New Hampshire. New Hampshire is one of 15 states that has this type of program through Medicaid. And it's effectively like health insurance for the uninsured or underinsured, but it's just for COVID-related care. So that is something you have to kind of know about and apply for, um, which you can do online at nhez.nh.gov. I think one useful piece of it is it can be applied retroactively up to 90 days before the application was submitted. So, you know, say you unexpectedly get the virus, go to an urgent care center and and get a bill. You know, if you you can still get that. You still get that covered. Yeah. Yeah. Anne-Marie, COVID remains a, a top of the mind at the State House, where you reported lawmakers started the session with nearly 60 COVID-related bills. I, I, that's unusual. Yes, you should see my Google spreadsheet trying to track these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're down to really three big ones at this point. That is unusual. Um, folks who follow hot topic issues say 30 is a lot. So this is quite quite been a uh, topic. So we're down to really three at this point. Um, I say the biggest one is there's a bill that would allow re- allow any employer, private or public, that receives any kind of state or federal money, which is a lot of them, to re- you know offer a moral exemption uh, from the vac- any vaccine requirements. So if you were just morally opposed to vaccines, you could be exempted from it, and that's very broad. And employers are wondering, you know, how are we going to validate that? Does it just render our, our mandates um, ineffective? The second one is sort of under the radar. There was a bill that began as a non-compete um, bill. If you work for a company, you have a non-compete agreement or a non-sharing of client information. When you leave, if a vaccine mandate comes in play for you after you've signed that you were going to be able to break it and move on. Mm-hmm. That's even broader now, and it has employers concerned. Now, if there's any material change in your employment after you sign a non-compete, and it's undefined. So is that a change in supervisor? Is that a change in work hours? So there's concern about that because it is so vague. And the third, um, is this the vaccine registry? We've talked about this. Um, it's it's new Right now, you have to choose to get out of it if you don't want your vaccination records um, included. Now it is neither opt-in nor opt-out, which is even more confusing than <laughs> where they were going in the first place. So yeah. that is very much up in the air as well. So, well, Andrew, I want to ask you what kind of reaction are you seeing to this legislation at this point, you know, from you know, lawmakers, but also members of the public and, and advocates and public health experts. What are they saying? It's starting to feel a little bit like legislation fatigue um, a bit at this point in the session. We definitely are seeing many of the same um, activists and advocates come out for this second round of hearings now that these bills are before the Senate. But there's not that same um, outrage I'm seeing for the from the public. I'm not going to the state house and seeing big protests from both sides anymore. I don't know if it's just that we feel we've done all we can and we'll see where it goes um, or if it's just at this point in the session and like we said there were 60 bills um, and if it's just fatigue. So it's yeah. been a very muted response at this point. What a pandemic fatigue all around, I think. Yes. Uh, I want to turn our attention to something else that was a big topic. Alley abortion legislation has been another huge uh, discussion uh, this session. Any developments this week? Yeah. So the Senate in the Senate, the judiciary 
committee this week was looking at um, a bill that passed the House and would add an exception for fatal fetal anomalies to the state's current abortion ban and would clarify the current ultrasound requirement to kind of make it more clear that it's only legally required in cases where uh, the fetus may be 24 weeks. And the committee heard public testimony a few days ago, and yesterday evening they voted unanimously in support of the bill. So the full Senate will be voting on that soon. And Governor Sununu this week also sent a letter to these committee members um, expressing his support for this bill as well. We have just a minute left, but Anne-Marie, I I know you reported on how people are handling the changes in New Hampshire uh, to abortion law and around the country. A reproductive rights group has now launched an online guide to abortion access in New England. What does that site show about how abortion access has or maybe hasn't changed in the region? It, it will show everywhere you can get an abortion and very clearly like how many weeks into your pregnancy can you go here or there. But I think it put out um, very clearly, which I hadn't really thought about before, were these other centers that say they are um, reproductive care for women and you go on their website, there is an abortion tab and you can look down and, and see what services are available. There's many more of those than I expected, and that's a concern for abortion providers because they present one way, but they actually don't provide abortions or refer to providers, and there's a concern that they're really you know, guilting or tricking in those some people's minds, people into not pursuing an abortion option because it may be unsafe or um, emotionally damaging. So mm-hmm. this is the information they're, they're giving out. Gotcha. Um, and yeah. so I think there's more of those than maybe I realized, maybe other people realized as well. We'll have to leave it there for this week. Thank you so much, Emery Timmons and our own Ali Pham. Thank you so much for joining the New Hampshire Recap. Thanks for having us, Rick. Thank you. New Hampshire Bulletin's Anne-Marie Timmons, and uh, you can find more of her work at NewHampshireBulletin.com. And, of course, you can always find Allie's work online at NHPR.org. And if you missed part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous weeks, please check out NHPR.org or grab the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rick Ganley. This is Morning Edition from NHPR. <laughs>